Yes, you have to put up with me today. Sorry about that. I'm Pete. Um, Jay, you might have heard from earlier, but we uh, didn't hear from Jay earlier. Um, maybe he's just sunning himself on the beach. I mean, who can say? <laughs> uh, you know, the, you've got to send the pastor away for a vacation sometimes, haven't you? <laughs> so, really, it's a pleasure to be here, and Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Wow. What year is it? <laughs> See, I, I was writing my notes here, and I read through them, and I discovered I'd call it 2010. So... <laughs> It's 2013, and we're set for a new year, okay? So, um, we know the team is in Haiti. You saw the pictures. We have got to be praying for them, as, uh, as I'm sure you're aware. There is a, actually a, um, a link on the city, if you haven't seen it already, where you can go in and kind of post prayers to them. They said they're going to be reading that link every day. So, go on the city, just... Tell them you're thinking about them, tell them, uh, tell them what you're praying, and uh, give them some encouragement, you know, because it's a strange situation, isn't it? I'm going to talk a bit about being strangers in the world this morning, and I'm sure in the world that they're in right now, they're definitely feeling strange, if only because they're all a different color, as you probably saw for some of the, uh, some of the photos. So it must be strange for them, but God is using them, and God will use them, and God will teach them as well, so we're going to be really praying for them and praying for that to happen. They come back on Thursday, so they're only gone for a week, and uh, then we get to hear all the stories firsthand. So, we're into a new series. You see the picture behind me. The series is called Exiles Living as Strangers in the World. I don't know about you, but when I first saw that graphic, I'm thinking, this is the apocalypse, right? (laughs) Uh, What do you think? Is it? Uh, You'll be glad to know that we're not doing this series because one of us has had a prophecy that the apocalypse is coming. Right? You're safe. That, that at least has not happened. That should be good. But we are going to be looking at the first, looking at first Peter, the first letter called Peter. Um, and it is um, a lovely book. It's written to a group of Christians who are kind of pushed out there, as we'll see in a moment. Um, scattered from various directions, and not maybe feeling that they are in where they should be um, in the sense of, of connecting to the world. So we're going to see how that works for us, and I'm, I'm excited, actually, because there's a lot in this book of 1 Peter, in this letter, that uh, is going to be very pertinent for us at this time. So we're going to do that. Did you have a good Christmas? I'm glad we have some yes, yes. <laughs> good. I had a good Christmas. Um, My son came from England, and uh, he returned home yesterday. So we took him to the airport last night. Actually, I don't think he got out until this morning in the end. But um, he returned home. Okay. We moved around a bit as a family, as you know. So, or as many of you know. So the notion of home, you know, is a bit complicated. Somebody said to me over Christmas, home is where your heart is. That must be right then. Kenny says yes. (laughs) I looked that saying up actually, home is where your heart is. It's it's attributed to Pliny the Younger, who lived in AD 70. So actually that saying is almost as old as the book that we're going to start going through, the letter of 1 Peter. It's about the same age. I was in a mall over Christmas. Who went to a mall? I always want to say mall, but it doesn't work. Mall. So, mall. Is that right? Mall. 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 D- divided by a common language, right? I, I, I went to, to a mall. And all I can say is um, I felt like a stranger. No. <laughs> I'm sitting there looking around, and it's a bit like the intro video that we had. People running, racing, grabbing, um, wanting, consuming. Um, shops looking like a tornado has blown through them. You see that? You, know, you can't find anything because it's all like this in a mess. 
I really felt like a stranger. Um, I don't know if you, if you feel the same way. That's just me. You know, I found myself thinking, well, so um, where am I at home? Where would I not feel a stranger? Well, what are all these people doing? Does this make any sense? Um, you know, maybe you ask similar questions when, when you're in places like that, or maybe it's just me and I'm real strange. Um, I'm not sure. We'll see in a minute. Um, most of you know, of course, that it's particularly tricky for me because I'm an alien. Yeah, I know. From a different country. Um, a resident alien, but um, an alien nonetheless. Uh, probably means I see things uh, differently to some of you, uh, but I hope you're going to be able to identify with my strangeness. When I think of home, this is what comes to mind, for me at least. There you go. I made that little collage of uh, pictures that I took uh, last uh, September when I was in England. That, that's what says home to me. When I was thinking about this, I think, well, interesting, there were no people in that. <laughs> so you're thinking the same. But somehow there's something about that that just grabs me and says home. And, and when I look back to England and think about England, it, the, most of my close friends are with me, my family. But um, that's, that's somehow what, uh, what grabs me. Coming from the UK, of course, um, I, I guess I don't count myself as an exile. The, the title said exiles, didn't it? I don't think I'm an exile. I don't think they threw me out. I think they'll let me back. Um, <laughs> But certainly, I understand this concept of living as strangers. You know, you living amongst people that get these funny shaped bits of bread and dip them in mustard. Uh, um, people that think trousers are pants. Never mind. Um, <laughs> and, and people who need to drive in their vehicles to cross the parking lot. I never quite get that. All right. So here we go, exiles living as strangers in the world. A lot of the letter that we're going through addresses the notion of readers feeling aliens and strangers in a pagan world. And uh, that world was really one that was Greek-influenced, as we'll see later. And um, some of them have left their homes, and some of them had just become estranged to their homes because the gospel has captured their lives because the good news of Jesus has grabbed them and suddenly what is around them is not them anymore. Does that make sense? So I think this is really pertinent to us and pertinent because of the uh, discussions that we've been having over the last six or nine months about missional communities, about God's calling on us as a, as a group of believers to, to be missional community. And Peter's instructions and his encouragements are just very pertinent to that situation. And you'll also uh, be seeing that we're moving on from the story-formed approach that we'd had over the last 10 or so weeks, um, which was very highly interactive and it was wide-sweeping in what we were trying to cover. I'm going to go back to a, a different pace, a pace where we're looking more closely at particular passages in this fairly short book of five chapters or so that we're going to go through. As I'm talking about home and being strangers, maybe you want to think about how the concept of home is for you. What comes to mind um, in, when you think about home? Is it something that's around you at the moment? Does it um, cause you to think about something else? Something in a different place, something where, somewhere where you want to be but you aren't now? Is it family, friends? Is it familiarity, stability, other memories? Is there a sense in which you feel a stranger in the world? Let's think about those questions as we go through. We're going to get right in. We're going to go to the first verse of 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1 1. And I think we have uh, it's page 849, if you're using one of those Bibles that's probably close to you. You can, uh, you can look it up for yourself. And it says, Peter, 
an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. I'm not signing that, are you? <laughs> Very good. The timing of the letter fits well into this story form series that we've been going through before. We were studying over the last few weeks. We saw how God was working in his early church to spread the good news. Um, we saw how um, God was working with Peter and Paul and, and the apostles and how they were spreading out and, and, uh, and going to the Gentiles. We looked at some of that. Um, and then how God brings that to, to culmination. This is a, a time time of this letter when there's much persecution in Israel. Uh, Jews, especially Christian Jews, fled away many northwards to the region we now call Turkey. It's not just Christians that were fleeing the region of Judea at that time. Many Jews were fleeing Roman rule as well. Uh, There were many revolts. In uh, AD 66, Dates are important here. In AD 66, the Jews tried to claim independence for Jerusalem. The Romans crushed them. And in AD 70, the temple was destroyed. The temple in Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. So it was a really hard time to live in the Holy Land. In fact, it's been a long journey for the Jewish nation, as I'm sure many of you uh, recognize. Uh, They lost their temple at that time in, uh, in AD 70. And they lost their nation. What happened in 1948? Anybody remember? Sorry? Ah, wow. Yeah, even know the name. They, uh, they got a new country. They got their country back again. Israel was reformed in 1948. Nearly 2,000 years, they had no country. And relatively recently, 60 years ago, Israel was reformed and amongst a lot more um, persecution and hardship and wars, as uh, you you will recognize if you've been following uh, since then. There's now about 5 million Jews living in Israel. So there's a beginning of a reforming of their nation. There's also about 5 million Jews living in the USA, it turns out. The second largest population of Jews in the world is here amongst us in the USA, and it's at least as many as there are in Israel. So they're they're a nation that have seen persecution, but that persecution was affecting the church as well. The church was being um, really, was really under attack from the crucifixion of Christ through that period of time. And um, the gospel was, as a result, being spread. Paul made three missionary journeys. Uh, Peter here is writing to a mixture of dispersed Christians from Judea and new Gentile Christians. There's a map there. If that map works for you, that's Turkey, modern-day Turkey. And you'll see that most of the north and west part of that region is the region that these places exist, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Um, that's, that's the area that uh, Peter is writing to. He's probably writing from Rome. He doesn't say that exactly, but we know, we think we know, that uh, Peter was martyred in Rome in between A.D. 64 and 67. So just before the destruction of Jerusalem, in that period of time, Peter was martyred in Rome. And our belief is, therefore, that the the letter was written to these people just before that. So maybe AD 61, 62, something like that. And it's a circular letter. It's not written to a single church. It's written to this group of churches. So uh, it would have been passed around by some kind of messenger, I suppose, and, and read in uh, each of those places amongst many different groups of people. And people talk about these people as scattered, as strangers. 
Some of them were truly exiles because they had come from a foreign land. Some of them, I think, were strangers because the culture was no longer theirs, because God had broken into their lives and showed them a different identity. They were living among pagans. So, in that sense, they felt strangers. And I'm sure we can relate to that, but that's similar for us in many ways. And this is not probably what they expected. The Messiah has come, and now they are scattered and seeing some persecution. So, probably not what they hoped for. But I think we can say that actually this is what God intended. This is what he wanted and how he saw the news spreading amongst the, uh, the world of the time. That God was sending them out into the provinces of Greece and Rome, embedding them into this culture by this scattering that really scattered and grew the early church of the time. It reminds me of another account which is in the, in the big book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 11, there's an account of various men and women of faith. And in the middle of, a, of the account, we read these verses. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would not have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not, not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So you get the notion there of aliens and strangers and of a home which is not of this world that these people long for, that those of us that really are following Christ long for a better place, and that place is not of this earth. Um, if you're in life group last week, you came across the culmination of God's story. We read the passage where it talks about the heavenly Jerusalem, that, that city coming down out of heaven from God. That is what God is preparing for us. So, you know, home is where the heart is. Well, okay. Perhaps a better question or a better way to look at it is really where is your heart? Home is where our Heavenly Father is, yeah? Whatever we value or yearn for in this world, it can never compare to what God is preparing. He is preparing for us heavenly city, a real home, a home for eternity, not for a few years as, as we experience around us. And it says in this first verse that we are elect people, not of this earth, aliens, strangers, from another place, of another place. So what do you think Peter means when he describes strangers? We talked about that a bit, but does it imply that these people were in some part of Asia and had formed their own little um, community, ghetto, um, something like that? Does it imply that they're an isolated culture? I don't think it does. It says that they're scattered and into so not in prison, not separated, but rather included and integrated into the local culture. And that, I think, is a calling that we're seeing for us as well, this integration in the local culture. So we are strangers, but as strangers, we belong to God and we belong in the world. Our role is to be salt and light to those we live amongst. We're called to live in the world, but with a different perspective. 
we talked about uh, in previous weeks, with our identity driving our activity. Do you remember that? So as we understand who we are in Christ, that drives our activity. But it doesn't separate us from the world. It allows us to be in the world, but different as salt and light. So I don't see the sense of an isolated subculture here, but I see a scattering of God's people so that they can be light, the light of God among the people and the culture that surrounds them. Somebody said, I don't think it was me, that we live in a post-Christian culture. I'm not a sociologist, so I don't know if I get that right. But the sense in which um, a culture used to be very Christian-based. All of the values were coming from, from Christian ideas and principles. And the church helped create it and saw itself as guardians of it. So if you do that, it's wrong, and I tell you it's wrong. There's a sense now in which that is changing, and if we present the church as the keeper of rules and as the guardian of rules, then we don't present Christ. And that what God wants us to do, and it seems to be telling us to do, is that we, we need to live in, we need to demonstrate our values in the world. And that demonstration is the gospel to those people. That, that it is our actions, that is our love for one another and our love for others, that it is as we portray what God would have us be that we are then in the world and influencing the world. So we belong to God and we belong in the world. Let's take a, a few minutes to talk about the sender because that will give us some valuable insights into the letter. So what comes to mind when, when you think about Peter? Not me, Peter. <laughs> Peter the disciple. I wouldn't dare ask that question. The Peter the disciple and apostle. Just what comes to mind when, when you think about that? Who, who, some, sorry? Rock. rock, okay. Peter the Rock. Got, uh, denial. His denial. Always start with the bad bits. Right. <laughs> the denial, yeah, absolutely right. On the, at the time of the crucifixion. Other things? Peter. In a circle. Yeah, one of, one of uh, Jesus' Jesus really closest disciples. Ah, quite right. The, 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 uh, the, the, the piece with Cornelius that we read in Acts where he was clearly told the gospel is not just for Jews, it is for the Gentiles. Yeah, very good. How did um, Peter meet Jesus? Do you remember? He was a fisherman, absolutely, a Galilean fisherman. Jesus actually came up to him. Um, there was crowds around, and he asked to teach from his boat. So he set out onto the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus was teaching from Peter's boat. And then do you know what happened? Do you remember? They hadn't caught fish all day, and Jesus said, put the nets over here, and the nets were filled. Remember that? And I wrote it down, I'll read it for you. Um, Simon Peter says, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man, when he saw that. Can you imagine? You put yourself in that situation. And he's just, this is God in my midst. I, you know, go away from me. I am a sinful man. And Jesus called him to be a fisher of men. That's right. Peter was the guy who walked on water for a brief moment. <laughs> Traveled with Jesus. He saw miracles. He saw the blind see, the lame walk, the sick healed. He saw the dead raised. 
And he declared, as he said, oh, you are, he declared, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that was when Jesus said, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And then, after being with Jesus for that period of maybe three years, then we come to the crucifixion. And what happens? Jesus tells Peter, you will deny me. Peter says, no way. And it happens. Yeah, it happens. So Peter denies his Lord and Savior. And then, on the third day, he goes to the tomb. And what? The tomb is empty. What? Can you imagine? This guy, the tomb is empty. Then there's another episode that follows that, where, Jesus, where, where Peter is back on the lake, messing with the nets. I guess he got back to fishing. And this man comes up, tells them to put the net on the other side of the boat, fills the net with fish to breaking point. And then he realizes, this is Jesus. Jesus has come back. The same way he first met him. Cast your net over here. Oh, well. Here are the fish. Can you imagine? I'm trying just to get into the heart of, of this guy who's writing this, uh, this letter um, close to his death. Another net full of fish. He says, um, uh, then he has a, a, a discussion with Jesus, the risen Jesus. And Jesus says to him, do you love me? Feed my sheep, he says. And he also says, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And the writer of the gospel makes a note that that was a reference to his death. The, the tradition is that Peter was crucified in Rome upside down because he said he wasn't worthy to be crucified the same way as his Savior. He, he, was, he was the sent one, so he was an apostle. He was the leader of the infant church in Jerusalem. He performed miracles of healing. He gave account to the authorities. He raised the dead. There is an account in Acts of him raising the dead. On the, first, on the day of Pentecost, he witnessed the Spirit descend. And he preached, repent and be baptized. And 3,000 people were saved that day. And he carried on preaching in Jerusalem. Repent and turn again, he says. Repent, repent. So he was, he was the leader and the spokesman of that, of that church in Jerusalem. According to many as well, um, he is the source of Mark's gospel. We don't really know that for sure. Mark and him traveled together. And that he was the source of the, of the material that Mark has in his gospel. He had an angel come and release him from Herod's prison. Can you imagine? An angel. My chains fell off. Believed to have traveled to Antioch, also to Rome, of course. And then, as we say, crucified under Emperor Nero around 65, 67 AD, something like that. What a man, eh? Peter means rock. A rough stone that became a rock. Extraordinary life and an extraordinary depth of life-earned experience. And he is the author of this letter. So every, as we read every word, we need to remember this guy. We need to remember Peter. And what he's been through and what he's coming from. His pr perspective is a profound one. A fisherman from Galilee who ended up life on a cross in Rome. Let's move on to the second verse. That wasn't long for the first verse, was it? Oh. <laughs> 
Verse 2 says, Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. So, Peter has his and our identity clear, our identity in Christ. And really that's where he starts. So we're going to look at that. Identity is very important in us carrying out the mission of God. Unless we know who we are, we can't be, do, act as we should. So we're going to start there and take this verse a piece at a time. Firstly, it says, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And also in verse 1, we read the word, we read elect, we are elect. So, if you're in a relationship with God now, it is because God has chosen you for his family. You have been chosen for God's family. Isn't that an incredible assurance? Isn't that just incredible? It's not a mistake. You have been chosen for God's family. Now, we often say we, we make a decision to follow God. We choose God. Yet Peter tells us here that he chose us. This is perhaps a dilemma. When I, when I became a Christian a few, few years ago now, quite a few years ago now, um, I made a decision to follow Christ. I chose. But when I look back at what happened, I wonder how much of it was really me. So I know he caused me to meet and develop friendships with, group, with a group of Christians who really live what they claim to believe. He brought people alongside me who could explain to me the Bible and what Christ had done and was doing for me. He planted seeds in me, which now, looking back, I can see were right into my childhood that caused me to make a response for him. So was it me or was it him? This is the dilemma that uh, Christian scholars have argued about for centuries We're not going to do that. We're not going to argue, and certainly not for centuries. Um, To us, it seems we choose God. We decide to put our faith in him. We choose the direction of our lives and our values and the values that we live by. We have free will, and we do the work of choosing. To us, it seems. However, God chose us, we read here. So he already knew everything with foreknowledge. He already knew. God knew in advance and chose us. So which is right? Can they both be right? Now, sometimes our problem, by the way, is that we assume that something is wrong unless we can understand it. That's maybe because we sometimes think we're bigger than God. But... We, we have this idea that if it can't be understood, it's probably wrong. I have an analogy for the scientific among you, which maybe at least may be two of you. We'll see. <laughs> My analogy, what is the nature of light? What is light? It's a beam that you see, right? It's um, an electromagnetic wave. Yeah? Um, depending on, so for centuries, scientists have debated, is light a wave or a particle? Anybody come across that in high school? No. (laughs) Is light a wave or a particle? So you've never tried Young's double slit experiment then, have you? Someone must have done that, right? Where light um, behaves like a wave. It creates an interference pattern, just like two, two pieces of water going through slits. So it looks like it's a wave, but then you can do other experiments, and it looks like a particle. It's a photon. So which is it? 
Is one true? Is the other true? Can they both be true? How can a particle be a wave? In recent years, there's a whole scientific field called quantum mechanics that's tried to build the theory of the mathematics of duality, how it can be this and it can be this. I actually did a course on this once. It was a long time ago. I didn't understand a word of it. <laughs> the thing is, I don't think the professor understood a word of it either. Is it a wave or is it a particle? So we see that it is both, but we don't understand how. And we come to grips with the fact that we just aren't good enough yet to understand how. You know, that's the way I think it is with these two things. We choose God. He chooses us. Which is true. They can both be true. But it's beyond us to understand how. We can see two halves, but we can't see the whole. Because we're not God. Because we're constrained to live in time and space. It's not clear to us how that can be understood. But it is true. And I can see a very important principle here. Think back to Peter. A man, Peter whose life had been totally given to Christ. He preaches the gospel. He risked his life to beseech people to make a choice, to repent, to turn again. And then towards the end of his life, he says, you are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. So, He preached choose, but now he says chosen. I don't think he's changed his mind. I just think he's reached a level of maturity where he understands that whereas he sees choice, there is so much more going on behind the scenes that God is doing than he can ever imagine. We overestimate our own importance, don't we? He says later in this book, in this letter, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We need to be humble. God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, who was, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is God. By grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. We have to be humble. We have to be careful of our tendency to put self first and our tendency to assume that we know somehow more than what God knows. So, be humble. God is almighty and holy. He is a king. He is our king. We believe. And we are chosen for God's family. That's who we are, chosen for God's family. We are humble and we are assured because we know that to be the case. Second part of our identity comes out in the verse is that we are rooted in the work of the Holy Spirit, sanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit. Sanctified means cleansed or made holy or set apart. In our previous series, we talked about the Spirit in terms of empowering us for mission. Maybe you remember that. Um, A a family of servant missionaries, and we attach the Holy Spirit much to the empowering for mission. But that can be a narrow view of what the Spirit does. He is comforter. The Spirit of sonship. He assures us of our our position, of, of our inheritance, of of us being God's children. He is teacher. He is the spirit of truth. He is our guide. He is the one changing us from beginning to end. We sang earlier on, you're making me new, did we not? Beautiful things out of the dust, out of us. He's making us new. So he creates fruit in us as part of that work. 
He bestows gifts, wisdom, knowledge, discernment. He was even in our lives before we knew it. He convicts of sin. He leads to God. We don't want to think of the Holy Spirit as um, an it either, or an influence, which we have a tendency to do. He is a person. He is God. And our identity is we are being changed by God's Spirit. So this is another encouragement for us. We are not a work of self-improvement, even though at this time of year we try to go that route, don't we, with our New Year's resolution or, or, or something like that. And we think we are not a work of self-improvement. We are a work of God. And we have to grasp that and keep a hold of that. We can't do what God needs us to do if we think it's us. We are a work of God. So when it comes to the Holy Spirit, I think there are many areas that we still need to grow in. And I know that some of you have expressed that to me, so, so we're feeling this together. One of the things that I think is vitally important and we really need to get around is we need to learn to listen. So if you want to make a New Year's resolution, then that maybe is a good one. To learn to listen more. To learn to listen to God and the Holy Spirit. The voice of God is a still, small voice. In my experience, he does not force himself upon you. He does not want to force his way through stuff that you build up. You have to be ready to listen. Some of you I know have talked about a whisper. That God whispers, listen, you have to listen. You may hear words, you may not. They may be thoughts in the form of words, maybe. They may be other impressions. They can be pictures, they can be dreams, they can be visions. Another area that I think we need to work through together is for us to Listen, and if we think the Holy Spirit might be speaking, that he might be giving something to us, to just be willing to share it, to just have the courage. I don't mean stand up here and shout it at everybody. I mean come and tell somebody and share it with your life group or, or share it and see if others believe whether that is coming from God or whether that's coming from some bad food you ate yesterday. I don't know. <laughs> Um, but it's important that we do that together and that we discern together. Um, there's, a, there's a verse uh, some of you will know in, in, in uh, Joel. I will pour out my spirit on all people, it says. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. So I'm asking for a vision. <laughs> oh, can it, got it. <laughs> the old men have to dream. Um, we are being changed by God's Spirit, and we need to let that happen and be mindful all the time. Let's, let's listen. The third part of our identity that uh, Peter bring, brings reference to is obedience to Jesus Christ. Obedience. We are servants for the mission of God's Son. We already several months ago, decided that we are a family of missionary servants. You remember that? A family of missionary servants. So we are called to serve. But if you're like me, you don't like this word obedience. Um, we would rather have self-choice. But self-choice leads to doing things in the flesh, not in the spirit. You know, our freedom and our purpose are found in doing what our Heavenly Father, our Creator, our Redeemer has for us. And, you know, obedience doesn't need to be complicated. It doesn't mean you have to have a five-year plan. Um, it's just the attitude that says, what next, Lord? And I've been trying to ask that in my walk, and I'm not that good at it. We should be asking, what next, Lord? It's very simple. Where, where is the next step? Not in my life, 
just in little things, in the way that you relate to somebody, in, in the things that you choose to do in, in community. What, what next, Lord? Then we listen and we obey. Do you know the hymn, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey? Goodness me, blank looks. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, it's an old hymn. We don't sing those hymns anymore. Um, it, but, uh, yeah, it's right. Um, I, be, I, I recall being a, a new, in a new and strange situation many years ago. Uh, many, many years ago, before I was married. And, and God was saying to me, words as thoughts, trust and obey, you'll be fine. With a sense of what I need from you is simple. I have the hard stuff covered. Just trust and obey. That's all he's asking. And I, can claim, I can't claim to have already always done that. Absolutely not. Uh, but as I look back over the last 35 years of my life, since that time, I, I can say that, my, that I and my family have been richly blessed. Richly blessed. We must trust and obey. God does the rest. And then as the verse finishes, grace and peace pours in abundance. Servants for the mission of God's Son. So Peter spends a lot of time in this letter explaining to his readers who they are or who we are in God, what their identity is. And then... Um, works from that point in the letter. And the first two verses in the book only really just scratch that, but they do contain a lot. We are strangers in the world because we are of a different world. The world is not where we belong. It is where we are sent, and we're in the world for a purpose. Then we are chosen by God the Father, elect, and however we thought we came to Christ, God did not make a mistake. He chose us. The Alpha and Omega, the almighty, all-knowing, eternal God chose us. Then he makes it clear that we are servant missionaries. So he must have heard Jay's sermons from last year. Not, not to live apart from the world, but to live in it as God's ambassadors. And lastly, he reminds us that the blood of Christ saves us and the Holy Spirit works in us and through us to perform and complete God's work. In a verse we'll probably get to next week, um, I, I like this verse. Peter goes on to explain the mystery of our salvation in Christ and he says, even the angels long to look into these things. But we are blessed and we are privileged. And that identity has to work out. And we have to see how that identity works out in our mission, in the culture around us. We don't define this culture anymore, but we have grown into it. And God wants us to influence from the relationship and the community that we have with those around us. He wants us to be involved in that. He's calling us to be more and more involved in those structures and communities that we see around us. We have some, some action areas, some, some missions that, that we have uh, supported here. But more and more, he's asking us to be a part of the structures of our society and to influence within. And I am struck uh, in these first two verses again by Peter's call to humility, and we're going to come back to that in this letter. Humility before God and dependence on him. Peter's incredible experiences have taught him that self is the enemy and God is all in all. God is all in all. Tim, Car Tim Carter is a, a pastor of a missional community called the Crowded House in Sheffield. 
in the UK. He wrote this. I may wonder what kind of mission God has for me when I should be asking what kind of me God wants for his mission. Asking us to think about being the right kind of me. So he's doing a work in us, through, through us and in us by his grace and power. And we are different and we must be different and be the me that he wants us to be. God wants to accomplish amongst us. It's not of this world, it is of the Holy Spirit. And we are strangers in the world, aliens for the king. So let's move on. I'm going to pray now, and then we can uh, come together and we can respond to God. Thank him for the blessings that we know amongst us, for what he is doing amongst us. And um, just worship him. Let's put him first. So let's pray. Gracious Lord, we ask your forgiveness that so many times we think of ourselves as more than we should, that we allow self to become more important, that we don't walk in humility. You are Almighty God. You are our Heavenly Father. You are our Creator. You are our Redeemer. Lord, we come humbly before you. We ask, Lord, that you teach us how to walk. You teach us to be that kind of me that you need us to be and to allow the Holy Spirit to change us and to make us new. Help us to be those that listen, that hear your still small voice and in obedience and humility ask, what next, Lord? Thank you, Lord, for all your work in us. And we come before you in humility and faith. In the name of Jesus. Amen.